recording? Yep, we're back. Oh, oh shit, um, hello, um, we're here, hello, hello, who are you? Uh, I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Paul here, Ralph. Yes, uh, we're here for uh, Startup 61. Uh, I certainly hope so. Now, um, this is going to be a very exciting episode as we don the Spider-Man cardboard masks from the last episode. There's some exciting visual continuity for an audio medium. So, as we discussed uh, two episodes ago, um, Spidey, uh, <laughs> sorry, I can't keep that Spider-Man mask on. Um, as we discussed two episodes ago, um, there are things that, that you can like um, uh, and, and love, various comics, films, TV shows, whatever, and uh, feel compelled to to experience them over and over, even though you know some of it is a bit poo. Yeah. Now, as we explained previously, we, we are fans of Doctor Who, and I'm what I would classify as a die-hard fan, and that uh, uh, there is not an episode of Doctor Who that has not been watched or listened to for some missing episode at least three times, uh, because I can usually find something to enjoy, because being a die-hard fan of something means that even though, even when it's a bit rubbish, there's still some goodness in it. However, today is a Titanic double bill, where we test that, that series to the limits as we revisit on DVD. Uh, two Doctor Who uh, type programs which we remember being less than the best uh, previously. Yes, that's putting it mildly. Now, we see Doctor Who related because one of them is a Doctor Who uh, story, the other one is not. Yes. One, the other one is uh, a Doctor Who spin off. Indeed. Uh, the inaugural Doctor Who spin off. That, that, that is correct. But before we get there, uh, we're going to do a Doctor Who story. So, we're going to do a reintroduction. And then we're going to have little pauses and let you know how it's going. Um, <laughs> because, as we said, we love Doctor Who, but one of the things I like about the, the DVD range, as, as, I, as I said before in the previous episode, uh, there have been times where uh, my opinion of a story has completely turned around. Uh, we get a combination of improved picture and audio, and uh, the extra features, and uh, sometimes stories that I previously didn't think that great, I've actually really enjoyed on DVD. So I'm hoping that will be here. So... The first story is one called Megloss from Tom Baker's last season. Now I, I experienced Megloss uh, during the arse end of the VHS range when W. Smiths in Glasgow uh, would happily get in a Doctor Who D, uh, VHS and within a fortnight they'd be down to 2 because this was the end of the market. So this is one of those stories that I'd heard uh, wasn't too great but I thought how, how bad can it be and I watched it. The shorthand of it is that's the one where Tom Baker turns into an evil cactus. So, hope, so we're going to watch it now and hope that, uh, look for the positive, and hope that our experience becomes improved. So, yes, it's good. again, I'm, I think, let me see, I watched it on, I think, VHS once, because it's one of these shows that I probably may have seen when it actually aired, but too young to remember. Well, my first time to remember being, of course, uh, episode one of Castrovalva. Uh, with Adric in the web. Yes. Yes. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> somewhat ruined by the, the excellent uh, book, The Life and Scandalous Times of John Nathan Turner. Yes, in which, uh, uh, well, that scene is, is. A new light's been cast upon it. Yes. Back. By what some crew members may or may not have been giving his stage directions to uh, the, uh, uh, the Adric actor in that scene. So, uh, Megalos, starring Tom Baker, comes to the back of the t- DVD. Um, case. It's uh, by John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch. And the story is as follows. 
anti Gela. Two opposing factions are irrevocably divided over one fundamental issue, the Dodecahedron, a mysterious artifact that provides the entire planet's energy. With the Savants and the Dions locked in a crippling stalemate, and their civilization on the brink of collapse, the Targaryen leader, Zastor, seeks the Doctor's help. But the Doctor and Romana have been trapped aboard the TARDIS in a time loop by Megalos, the last of the Zolfa through the hands. He will stop at nothing to steal back the awesome power of the Dodecahedron. Uh, produced by John Nathan Turner, directed by Terence Dudley, and broadcast on BBC One between the 27th of September and the 18th of October 1980. That sounds very exciting, doesn't it? That was completely out of the, as Mark Kermode talks about, the, the Wiggly Mongs. The Big Mongs. When he talks about the worst of science fiction, ah, that's a very attractive cover put together by Lee Binding. It's, uh, it's got uh, Chapter Furry Hat, it's got Jacqueline Hill, who you remember um, being Barbara in the original Companions in a different role. It's got Tom Baker like, as a cactus. Oh, yeah, it doesn't look too bad. It doesn't look too bad at all. So, uh, let's pop it into player. Yep. So we'll be back after a short musical interlude. Indeed. So we've returned. So before we uh, experience the story and its, uh, <laughs> and its full glory, um, as we said, one of the, the things that's particularly enjoyable about the Doctor Who DVD range is they're just a, a very high standard uh, and that you get lots of interesting special features. So we're not going to comment on the production information subtitles or the audio commentary because we'll, we'll go through them another day. So there are four. Uh, sorry, first of all, and there's the this is what you could have won feature or the coming soon trailer as they call it, which was for the John Pertwee story The Mutants, starring Big Dark Lighter, Lobot, and uh, I think a chap from EastEnders. Chap from EastEnders, uh, Jeffrey Power. Yes. Uh, now the New Mutants is a, a John Pertwee story, which a bit like uh, Megalos has. It's fair to say not a good reputation, but I enjoy it. It's not. It's not great. But it's not awful at the same time. It is. I, it's yeah. more uh, out of sort of the sort of John Pertwee stories. Is there was uh, a lot of the six parters were overlong, shall we over, say? Over overlong, but and but um, I do have a soft spot for the yeah, so I, I, I do enjoy it, despite its flaws. So we had that first, as is as is traditional. So you must. You should always watch the coming soon uh, I, I, trailer. Unless, of course, you, you buy one of the DVDs that's produced before the coming soon trailer was 
introduce DVDs such as City of Death, for example. Uh, so, uh, so there's four uh, Envision uh, little shorts. The first one is Megalos Men, in which writers John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch meet your script editor Christopher H. Bidmead. Uh, I enjoyed that, but it took a while going because one half of the writing team, uh, when he was talking, was fair to say fairly up himself. Did look a bit like Charles Danslow. Yeah. And I like Charles But as it got going, he, be, he, he became a bit more engaging. But at the start, it was rah, 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 look at me. Yeah, I, I actually particularly enjoyed this because... We got to see Christopher with me too. We got to see Christopher... But, but actually, um, because, you know, this is a DVD range with 90 odd titles in it, and um, this DVD was put out in 2011, and what you actually noticed if you were uh, picking these up as they came out, is that generally the making of's got more either elaborate or unusual as they went on, because just for sheer variety, because people making these DVDs know that they, they all sell roughly the same, and most people are like me, and might buy quite a lot of them, so you want a bit of variety, so... Um, I liked, basically the format of it was that the two writers meet up after, uh, although they still write together, um, one of them lives in France, so they don't meet up in person uh, as much. So they meet up at St Prangus uh, train station in London, and then the camera follows them as they go around local parks and the house they used to live in to write the story and chatting in the back of the taxi, which I found was kind of interesting. It was also a more interesting way of doing a making off for Megalos, because it is one of those stories about which there's not a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes anecdotes. And also, because it's a story that um, uh, Doctor Who fandom doesn't really look upon very favourably, um, you don't really get to hear about the writers very often, because it's the only Doctor Who they did, and they don't tend to turn up in documentaries or articles or like. So, not really known much about them. Um, I, I found that interesting. And one of the writers, apparently, John Flanagan, is also on the commentary, so I look forward to that. But, as I say, it goes to this exciting climax where they enter the house of... The Bidmead. The Bidmead. Now, we like Bidmead. I... While his stories aren't entirely to my taste... Yes. I find he has, uh, he has a very good voice. His audio uh, book reading of his story, Legopolis, from uh, the Target novel, is fantastic. He's a very good voice for yeah. audio books. Once I get it, say words. I like him because he, he is opinionated... And well, he's not arsy. No, he's not arsy, but he has his... Uh, and it's quite funny, because when he was talking in his house, also points off and points to him at the same time for his fine outfit. Yes. Which was, he had a red hoodie, but he was wearing a baseball cap indoors in his own house. And a points off shirt. Yeah, yeah, he answered that. But also, there was lots of white inside, which made yeah. me think of Castrovalva. So He's an apple guy, so... Yeah, I, I like that, and, and having drinks and stuff. It's nice to see, because as I agree with Andy. Christopher H. Bindmead's time is... Effectively, the showrunner, um, for all intents and purposes, is not my favourite period of Doctor Who, but I always enjoy him in the DVD range, whether he's on a commentary or an extra feature, because he's he's articulate, he's succinct, he's not rude, he's not unpleasant, he defends his point of view, and generally I look forward and, to his contribution. And he will also accept criticism on the commentary. He will actually, and he's, he's, uh, he's good on commentaries as well, and he'll take on board things, but he'll also uh, defend yeah. stuff. So... So that was quite enjoyable. I was just when he came in, goes well when he took over. Was like he hated what Doctor Who had become, uh, and basically he wanted to kill sorcery with science. And again, it's from the the tacky on TV chaps did yes. the song uh, Robert Junior's waiting waiting that Bananarama did, but they do it with Christopher Hamilton Bidmead, and I think we'll have to sing a little bit. 
because bird needs writing, bringing in science, bringing in science. Christopher Bird needs writing, making things boring, making things boring. No credit at all. I actually um, the song just entertains me. The, me the, the Tacky on TV website still exists and it's primarily known, I think, for the blog Adventures with the Wife in Space. Yes. So one of the uh, contributors sits down with a not me, his wife, yeah, uh, to watch or listen to Doctor Who all the way from the start. And I, I do recommend you have a look at that. It's very entertaining. And previously they did a podcast uh, from which uh, that song derives. And also, they did, didn't they do the Davros and Professor Stephen Hawking? I'm not sure if that was them. But, uh, yeah, there was an old Flash cartoon from dial-up internet days. That's right, dial-up internet days. Before YouTube, when the likes of the novelty of being able to watch an animated cartoon was yeah. unusual with the connection falling off. And uh, there, there was Davros and Stephen Hawking's his love story. Uh, uh, Children of Electric Dreams. By a... Uh, him from the human league. If you just search for Stephen Hawking, Davros, Electric Dreams, you'll find it on the internet. I, I'm not sure if it was attacking on TV, guys, uh, but that was very good. So, so that was a good feature. Also, what was good about the feature is it's uh, it's brief. It's not too long, not too short. It's about 12 minutes long. We then move on to pretty much the only thing uh, that Megalos is significantly um, Remembered for anything that's always mentioned in any article about Megalos is the use of a technique called scene sync, which was pretty much like a, a slightly more advanced version of the CSO technique. It was a way to just explain for CSO chroma key color separation overlay was by filming characters against a blue or green screen, you would then be able to composite in uh, another image to basically change locales. Uh, Barry Letts was one of the biggest champions of that within the BBC. But the problem was it had to be static because the uh, for moving the cap to ensure that the actors matched up with the backgrounds. But scene sync was a way of allowing you to uh, have moving cameras. So if you were filming, doing a background with a miniature shot, you could link it up so you could have it moving. So to, to make basically a more dynamic CSO, uh, Doctor Who's worst example of CSO would be Underworld, which predates the story, <laughs> whereby you had episodes set in a cave network. And, CSO. and it, because obviously the shots had to be were static and it makes for a painful, painful show and I love that target book to death and I look I, forward to when inevitably do the talking so, version of it so scene sync was uh, basically a way of rigging up the two cameras using a transponder so the main camera where on the actors was the master and the camera on your miniature or your background whatever effect you were compositing was, was slave to it so any movement made by the main camera would be mirrored not without its, its own difficulties, particularly if you're doing scale work. If you move your camera the set for, to compensate for a full actor, if you're doing that with a miniature shot in the, in the background, it's yeah. going to be massive. So it was quite entertaining. Again, it's the precursor to motion control rigs for yeah. cameras. And I enjoyed it because, again, any article Megalos always says scene sync, and I never quite understood what they meant. So it was good to see and um, some people who made it talk about it. Now, this feature is notable for three things for me. First of all... It uh, has some clips from the class, BBC Classic Serials. Yes. And it reminded me yet again, why the fuck is none of this stuff out on DVD? Yep. Because this stuff used to be repeated ad nauseum when we were kids. Yeah. And a lot of it, I remember being very good. And there's also a lot of serials that are pretty much seen as legendary BBC productions, which never seem to air or be put out in any medium. And I'd, I'd love to see a lot of this stuff. I mean, It's the kind of thing that's... Why is it on like BBC I mean, to be honest, for a while uh, within, you know, the BBC and, and British television, the thing that Barry Letts is remembered for is not necessarily Doctor Who. It's the producer as the classic serial for so long, along yeah. with Uncle Terrence. Yes. Or some of them. 
Secondly, I did like that one of the technical chaps in his house had a good boring fire behind him, which I particularly enjoyed. And thirdly, um, it shows you a few clips from uh, an in-house uh, demonstration video for SceneSync uh, for the BBC, which I found particularly sneaky because as part of their test they use uh, a Klingon ship uh, Klingon Brother Frey from uh, the, the original Star Trek or possibly from the motion picture, I'm not sure when the video was done and if you squint a little bit in the back you can clearly see they're also doing tests of the original USS Enterprise model <laughs> which I enjoyed, so there we go so the third feature uh, was another brief thing uh, Jacqueline Hill, Life in Pictures I look at the life of Jacqueline Hill with husband Alvin Rakoff, Doctor Who producer Verita Lambert, and actors William Russell and Anne Davies. Uh, the reason why I saw this is uh, Jacqueline Hill uh, has a guest part in Megalos and is best remembered for being one of the four original stars of Doctor Who yes. as a school teacher Barbara Wright. So it's it's quite justifying to have a little uh, feature about her. Um, I, I thought it was good for two reasons. Uh, it was nice to get some input from her husband. Yes. And it was um, interesting without being overly mawkish. Yeah. And to, you know, well, death, deathly, which some of these things can be. I mean, on, on the Spearhead from Space Blu-ray, um, there's two video long, very good documentaries, which are basically obituaries for uh, John Pertwee and... Oh, Carolyn Jones. Carolyn Jones, thank you. I can remember the character's name. Good actress. And while I enjoyed them, I thought they did become a bit too overly funeral in places, so... Like a, a concise approach was fine, there was some pictures around I hadn't seen before, and an interesting anecdote about Sean Kennedy. Yes. So that was good. Now, by this point, we're, we're three in, we've got one more vision to go, and at this point I'm thinking, you know what, even if Megalos turns out to be as bad as I remembered, I've actually got some joy from this DVD. Um, and then we viewed Entropy Explained. Now, here's the thing, Entropy's a, a big theme behind uh, season 18 of Doctor Who. And it's something that Christopher Hamilton Bidby talked about quite a lot in the uh, New Beginnings box set featurettes. Because obviously it's quite a, one of the, the bigger background elements for Logopolis. Indeed. Uh, so we Can't thought at that point, going to get another dose of the Bidmeat. There, there was a punch to the air. There was point. a punch to and, the air. And I believe I did say, yes. Uh, and I hadn't read the inside of the booklet yet, so I didn't know who was presenting it. Because the back of the DVD case doesn't give information on it. So it's presented by a sciencey chap. This feature that is four minutes and fifty four seconds long. And it felt every second of oh, it. It's, it, was it is dreadful. It's like imagine if your dad tried to explain entropy to you. It basically it's a lecture from from someone who obviously has no ability to to speak publicly. Uh, which is why he's a lecturer at a university that looks at things. Uh, he, he appears uh, to sit in an empty lecture hall, vacated by his yeah, students, um, who've run away. Screaming uh, the hills. Oh, it's fucking terrible. It's, it's, it's dreadful. It's explaining the laws of ther thermodynamics and making... He talked about the eventual heat death of the universe. <laughs> now, here's the thing. We love comics, we love science fiction, so that shit gets talked about with great regularity Yeah, what was the What was the DC? In DC they had, it was like a... God, I remember there was, there was like a space station at the end of the universe and Vanishing Superman point. was trying to go there and uh, it was like a Grant Morrison type thing the Vanishing Point yeah that was, that was the thing for a, a zero hour where when Hal Jordan's trying to be yeah that was interesting because he basically looked the end of the universe to the beginning to wipe everything out and use the energy to create a new big bang that was great I love zero hour that was great I mean I know we rag on DC, modern DC a bit and did so in the last universe but let's not forget there are things that we enjoy there yes again which is why it's why we get so so angry considering, you know what, you guys, 
through Vertigo put out Wii 3, which I would argue is probably one of the most inventive and mm -hmm. finest three issues that have been produced in years. And yes, did bring a tear to my eye because it was Homeward Bound The Incredible Journey, basically. But Bionic Animals. Is dog good? If you do not well up reading that book, you have no fucking heart. Go back to hearts, the heart of the science chap, yes, who, which apparently beats with boredom. Oh. Now, what makes it worse is, at one point, he, he tries to explain his point by taking a, a fine Doctor Who mug, yeah. a fine licensed mug. Now, as, as I say this, I am drinking from a Doctor Who mug, which features uh, Peter Davison and Omega II from Ark of Infinity on it. Well, I, I also have a Doctor Who mug, which has uh, Amy Pond, the pirate, in it, with the quote, What kind of rubbish pirates are you? Bond because the, the curse of the black spot. Yes, so uh, I should point out that in our aforementioned mugs is uh, some fine Finlandia some fine and Finland. Yes, indeed. Um, because we know we know what we're about to watch. We're fortifying ourselves. Indeed, and hello to uh, Nick Roche. Yes, uh, who uh, didn't say hello to in that last episode. We didn't. Damn, we've lost a celebrity listener. Uh, so, so that was that was a bit of a shame. So, um, so now we feel we're really in the mood yeah. for Megalos. But I still hope to be. I genuinely, genuinely hope to be to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, I hope it's like my experiences with serials such as The Crotons, uh, The Face of Evil, um, serials which uh, I didn't particularly enjoy when I saw them before, but when I went through the whole DVD package, it's like, I, really, I actually really enjoy these now. It's, it's, it's brought it a new experience to me. So we're going to stop for another exciting musical interlude. It's true, I wonder, I wonder what music you'll put in there tonight. I have. wonder what the future you will decide is appropriate to put in there. I have no idea. I'm, I'm just hoping it'll wind up Phil, so I don't know whether I'll put in just the wrong Doctor Who music. <laughs> okay, let's go. returned from uh, a, a, an exciting viewing of Megalos, the second story of Doctor <laughs> Who's 18th season involving a giant space cactus, uh, some people with the wigs left over from UFO, and the uh, Jerry Anderson show, and uh, albino costumes of Romulans from Star Trek. So here's the thing, mm. uh, I've acquired a quantity of, of Finlandia yeah. uh, fabulous potato based beverage to get uh, through this, this episode it was pish it was shit now here's the thing right oh uh, the Lego uh, Captain Birdseye has fallen over in shock or probably tried to top himself because Megros was going on at the same time uh, he's, he's leapt from his shelf to die them right here's the thing right Megros right now the, the DVD presentation is of course superb 
The scene sync looked really good for the time. Um, there was a scene where people walk both in front of and behind of a building in the mm. same shot. That's, that, that, that's very good. The cactus looks good. The makeup looks good. First episode, while criminally removing the doctor from anything to do with what's going on, yes. is, is not bad, but it's watchable. It's, I remember saying during episode one, I thought, this isn't as bad as I remembered it being, it's just a bit dull. And then, and then stuff happened, and I ate some crisps, which are particularly good. And, uh, and that's all I've got to say about Megalos. Now, this is only the... Well, it's the second time I can remember watching it. Probably the third, but I've seen it. Because I would have probably watched it when it aired. But maybe when I was a little bit too young to, to keep the memory in. Thankfully. It did. Uh, it was tedious. Um, to the, the <coughs> now, first point of... There was one moment of joy, and it was we recognised the Earthling who gets who gives the cactus the humanoid body very early yes. on. Uh, I recognised him uh, as the a young, obviously he was younger then. He was in House of Cards as the Health Minister, who was one of the potential leadership candidates for the Tory Party that Francis Urquhart uh, basically nobbled in his fantastic way. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil, I'm sorry that Ralph isn't watching House of Cards, the final cut right now. I'm going to get around to it in uh, due course. But that was a moment of joy. Uh, and um, when Tom sort of reveals Megloss as he is Megloss to one of the uh, scientists with the wings, was a brief moment of joy because it was a, a bit of life to the performance. He is good. I mean, I mean, Tom uh, allegedly had some kind of illness. Or something else uh, during the and production of this season. Noticeably gaunt and painfully yeah, thin. And in, in this one, uh, he he does the play, but particularly ill. But he, I mean, before he gets the makeup with Megloss, he is actually um, quite engaging to watch. He's uh, more lively than when he's playing the Doctor, and his performance is good. Jacqueline Hill playing her part is good. Generally, the actors are are they're, they're putting in a decent shift. There's nobody who I would say is doing a, a lazy or a CBBC as we call it type performance um, everyone's part well no I'm, I'm not about to I'm not about to slag off Lala Ward which is what you were thinking I was about to do indeed no the number two boy the, the bad actor one is I, he's I, not being lazy yeah but he's, he's they're meant to be marauding space pirates and he is an absolute fucktard and he's meant to be effectively the sergeant major type uh, which is what the, the writers talk about during it, mm-hmm. in the making of. So your sergeant major types are generally very competent, but still kind of the, the yeah, common touch. Uh, and he's a tech. I think he's more miscast than bad. I don't think he does a, a bad acting performance as such, but I feel he, he is miscast. No, that's what I mean. He's, role, he's, yeah. he's, which is more down to the director, Terence Dudley. I oh, feel. more of Tina Dudley later on. Yes, but the, uh, the direction of it, and, and again, we judge the director and his performance purely in context with the Doctor Who of his time when the BBC was time. And while it's not, it's not the worst direction Doctor Who had at that time. Hello, Richard Martin. It was before this time, to be fair. Yeah. It is quite uh, pedestrian and doesn't do a lot to enliven the material. But you know. It, it's, 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 the thing is, right, um, what helps Megalos in its favour is, I recently watched the DVD of the preceding story of the season, The Leisure Hive, and the, the Leisure Hive is a rarity in Doctor Who for me, and that 
being the diehard fan that I am, it was one, it's one of the very few Doctor Who stories in which I can find very little that I'll actually actively enjoy. And it's also one of the few that I'm watching on DVD is quite as poor as I remember it. Megalos actually, I think, does improve a bit on DVD. Uh, there's extra features, not having had the commentary yet, have enlivened it a bit for me. Um, apart from the entropy extra Apart from the entropy, but in terms of the extra stuff, they've enlivened a bit for me. The, the presentation's very good. The, the score is fine. The score I actually quite enjoy. Uh, the sets look a lot better in DVD vision. I think they're fine for the time. Yeah. Uh, the presentation's very good, and it, it is better than, than the Ledger Hive. It's not one of the best. It's not, it's not one of, I mean, I would say it's more for diehards only. It's not one I would, I would recommend you wash out and buy. No, I mean, as I said, this is the second time I can recall seeing it. And to me, at this point in time, I would, having not seen the Leisure Hive in years, yes. uh, like quite some time, I would rank as possibly the worst Doctor Who story I've actually watched. And, I can, and you've heard us wax lyrical about Doctor Who in the past in terms we of... We love Doctor quality, Who, we genuinely do. But, and there are times we have been solely disappointed with stories or they haven't been as good as we remember them. Time in the... Not sorry, uh, time in the... As we record this, the, the, the Doctor Who, the official Doctor Who BBC uh, Twitter feed has reminded us that uh, on today, September the 7th, it's 26 years to the day yes. since Time in the Rani, part one, a.k.a. Sylvester McCoy, the seventh Doctor, his first episode aired, which makes me feel immensely old because it feels like last week Just I first sat down with my mother to watch the episode. And I distinctly remember Time in the Rani episode one because my, my father was a police officer at the time, was working late shift, and myself and my mother watched it. And he came back late at night and said, how is the new Doctor Who? And I said, the new Doctor Who is fantastic and I love him. <laughs> so, as much as that particular serial doesn't hold up to me as an adult, I can still retain an affection for it because of the memories of watching it. Uh, Megalos, unfortunately, is not. I said, the first episode, not too bad. The rest of it, not so great. Oh, that, oh. The first episode up until 19 minutes in, when the Doctor gets trapped in the time loop or chronic consensus. Yes. And at that point, it's like, no, you're... All, the whole point about... Doctor is a show about time travel. And ironically, when they, when they actually start playing about with time travel is when the show generally becomes at its worst. Yes, <laughs> and I, would, I would even include certain... I love the Doctor or Matt Smith episodes. Yes. Where uh, Stephen Moffat, who is a fantastic creative mind and... Uh, and has written a lot of Doctor Who that I really enjoy. It was a very interesting thing to say. I generally think Doctor Who is at its weakest when it plays upon the time travel aspects because then the rules of drama break down. You start thinking to yourself, why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? How does this happen? How does that happen? Instead of just getting caught up in an adventure. Yes, and so when it hits the chronic hysteresis, that's when it grinds to a halt and it loses all impetus at that point. And the show, to be honest, the Megalos never recovers and it's not to say that perhaps had that not been there that there might be a bit more life to some of it but you've you've basically got what six seven minutes of an episode yeah where you're just getting the time loop gag and the thing is it's not even entertainingly done when they're trying to break it or when they realise it in, a, in the time loop I enjoyed that in the uh, novel that uh, Uncle Tim and Sticks wrote but that again we, we've the target books lie Target, Target books, books many have to do. When we're talking about, obviously, earlier, uh, CSO and SeedSync is Underworld being uh, 
uh, uh, a CSO heavy story. And that's the first target book I got. And I remember getting it when we were living in West West Germany at the time. That's right, West Germany. So that tells you how long ago we're talking here. And I read this book till it fell apart. I got sellotaped up to, to continue to be read, and I read it yeah, to also, I would say with, with Thunderworld, it's like if you get a chance to read the script, which you can via certain dark <coughs> corners of the internet, um, it's actually a, quite a fun... It's a fun read, it's a fun script, and I was so maintained that the first broadcast episode of Underworld is, while not perhaps fantastic, quite watchable. It's, yep. it's an episode 2 to 4 when it vanishes into the CSO caves, where... Uh, deficiencies in the production uh, overwhelm the quality of it but again that's what I say with that Doctor Who fan Underworld I could still find a job in it because the first episode I actually yeah. quite like The Quest is the Quest uh, The Quest is the Quest um, but, but <laughs> Megalos it's so I got it quite cheap because um, as, I, as I start to complete the DVD range it didn't cost me too much I've already got enough out of the presentation of it next to features that even if by some Unlikely chance the audio commentary and the production text commentary are on the par, which isn't usually the case. Well, I was I would well, say it's, it's, what um, I would say is the text production commentaries are never under par. They're always they're generally very very good. Actually, I've never yeah. been disappointed. With it. However, is Lala Ward on the audio commentary? I have to uh, state that Lala Ward is indeed on the audio commentary. Then that has I would say at least a sixty percent chance of being under par because. Now here's the thing, I love Lala Ward's interviews, and she's very good, very good interview, very good in the Big Finish range of oh, Romana. Fantastic. I think she's brilliant. I love the Romana character in Big Finish, Romana 2 at that point. However, on screen in the Doctor Who show, she's awful. There's only one story she's in where I actually find her bearable, and that's the Horns of Nymon, because it's the only time somebody remembers, oh wait, you're a Time Lord, you're meant to be kind of on a par with the Doctor. Also, the, the horns of Naimon is... is Naimons are forever, forever. It's, uh, it's, uh, we, we, we really must cover it at some point, because it's an example of, of Doctor and television, which is technically not... I'm doing air quotes here. Not good. Not good. And like Megalos, it's a, it's a poor production, not, a great, not the best of scripts. But it has a certain pre-jump to it, which if you're in that, if you're in the right frame of mind, is fantastically it is entertaining. Very enjoyable. Fantastic entertaining. It um, has a sense of the thing is, it's not as Ross said, it's not a good story. However, the thing is, it's got it's far more pacey than Megalos. It is entertaining because you have the Nymon is ridiculous, and there's no attempt to hide how ridiculous yes. the, the yes. Nymon is, and also uh, Graham Crowden as so Deed. Uh, does a Richard Briars? However, unlike Richard Briars, he's good. He's good, uh, but I think the whole point is because the story suits an over-the-top yes, character. Yes, he chooses scenery. He is panto acting, yeah, but it works, and it does, and he is joy to behold every time he's on screen. But so Doctor Who always has kind of these things where objectively a story might not be good but you can get some enjoyment out of it apart from Megalos indeed it's like, it's like as, as we're talking about off air yeah. uh, there's a Fester McCoy uh, story Silver Nemesis which was the 25th anniversary uh, sort of serial for Doctor Who uh, involving the return of Cybermen and De Florist uh, the Nazi and, and all this kind of stuff is objectively speaking a poor serial 
the direction is adequate but not superlative for the it's material. It's not Chris Clough's best work. It's not his I best work. It's, it's acceptable but not fantastic. The script is... The script has many fun... <laughs> no, well, no, no, I'm saying the script has many fun moments but doesn't hang together as a story. And uh, it is objectively awful. However, it's highly entertaining to watch. It's one of these shows I can, I can fire I can, on yeah, DVD and yeah. watch at love any it, point. Love it, love it. So, that's an example. So, what we're going to do now is... Uh, and the so quality again, of this podcast so, um, may... We got down, I, I hadn't finished my oh, I, I, I do a lot of time. Sorry, so, sorry. Lana Ward yes. is fantastic in so Big Finish. Our interviews, particularly the... I like the really the one she did uh, for DWM not long before they announced Kate Bastard had been signed as the Doctor, where she actually put the boot into uh, Adric, oh, uh, and she was, and she was. It's, I think what, that was the time that they started to be candid. Yes, I but also was, as a rejoinder to that, Matthew Warhouse uh, has copped in, 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 in terms of his on-camera interviews and commentaries for the DVDs. He's been very candid about who he was at that time and knew who he is now. Uh, to the point where uh, Big Finish have um, got to be called two team. stories yeah. for their fifth Doctor range of 2014 and I'm really looking forward to it and at some point one of us will crack and we will either buy the audio version or the version of Matthew Waterhouse's book because Ralph, the thing is Ralph is waiting for me to do this because he took the, bill- the bullet for the JNT book the JNT which book I would have to say is a uh, very good book actually it's again unfortunate because of tabloid coverage based on the never-ending cesspool of depravity and horribleness that Operation Utree uh, has uncovered. Yeah. And one side of the which they could go on and the behaviour of people is not controllable in any no, way. No. And has... It's, it's not to trivialise it anyway, but it's more the fact that these are fundamental pillars of our childhood in terms of entertainment and even education. Yeah. That, I mean... Obviously, I draw, and I love art. And one of the people who who made me enjoy art and drawing and be involved in cartoons and loving that sort of stuff was Rolf Harris. Indeed, was in I, I mean, at the time, until proven at the time I'm recording, Rolf Harris has been indicted for certain uh, very serious charges. And uh, should he be proven guilty, then Fuck of him. course, of course, all you know, everything that happens to him, it comes to him. But uh, it's 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 one of those things where you you hope. You hope it's not true, um, because of you know the, the impact that his programs has on the child. But not just us. But, as I said, but the reason why I mention it is yeah. because the book Andy mentions JNT um, by Richard Marston, is it? Yeah, the former Blue Peter. Uh, uh, by M- by Milk Publish M I W K. Um, got some tabloid notoriety at the time because uh, there's a chapter which talks about. Um, was JNT the producer of Doctor at the time that Megalos was made? Yeah. And for all of the 80s, what was, was he a, a paedophile, so to speak? And uh, the conclusion is no, he wasn't. And the, the author at the time describes a certain sexual, uh, an alleged sexual stalking by JNT's then partner, Gary Downey, uh, in BBC Corridors. But as the author himself concludes, he could find no evidence that the producer was involved in these, in any kind of horrible activities. But um, as I said, the, the actual book, uh, JNT, The Inside Story, I would say is, is both depressing but also a very good read because it portrays a picture of uh, 
A very important figure in Doctor Who who had the misfortune to unfortunately pass away before the DVDs really came into their own. So we um, don't really we have his viewpoints. It's one, stuff, of, these, but, one yeah. of these things that is, he's been lambasted. And the thing is, there are many things you can legitimately and rightly lambast him for. And they, some of these are talked about in the book in terms of uh, what he was involved in. But what you have to and what everyone should get down on their knees and thank him for it is Doctor Who is still around now because yeah. of him. Yeah. He I mean, I mean, J.T., I mean, I have to be honest, I mean, had uh, Richard Marshall's book in any way found any evidence to suggest that the producer had done inappropriate things or illegal things, we would we would throw the book at him, posthumously or not, because that's what happened with Jimmy Samuel, and quite rightly too. Um, then we got it, but at the end of the day, it's like J.T., it's like, well, he produced the Doctor Who that made me a fan. Yeah. Uh, the Doctor Who threes. He also instigated the uh, release of missing Doctor Who serials on uh, audio tape. Yeah. Two of the Cybermen, which at the time was missing, and narrated uh, Power of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks, Macro Terror, Spearhead from the Deep Range. Um, he, he, he also did uh, a lot of the DVD raids. He, whether you like it or not, it's thanks to him that we have things like Shatter. We have due credit to Ian Levine, who did. Uh, Intervened to make sure the footage was uh, saved, but JT, we got the Shadow on, D- on VHS and subsequently we released on DVD. We have things like the Heart of the Years, the Trenton Years, which got lots of orphan episodes, which at the time the, DVD, the BBC had no interest whatsoever in releasing in any format because they were orphans, orphan episodes. They got released and it's a colourful figure. So I would say if you've heard about the JT book and you're like, mm, should I buy it or not? I would say go ahead and buy it because the likelihood of it turning up in your local library are, is small because it's a niche publisher. Yes. And it deserves a sale to get. And it's a book that made me feel very uncomfortable at times because it goes into the private life of a figure that uh, is maybe more near the knuckle than you would like, but it's very frank. But it comes from a, a love and an interest well, the, in the, the figure. Well, the best thing about it yeah. is Marsden doesn't judge any of the activities. It's very impartial in terms of the authorial voice he brings to it, which for a biography can be difficult at times mm. because it's quite often either written at the behest of somebody, uh, as in the, the person if they happen to be alive or yeah. So the slant generally tends to be for most biographies to either be, to fall within two camps. It's either evangelical to the point of sycophancy or muckraking mm. to the point of character assassination. And this book does both. Because it has, and a lot of people make comments and shed lights on incidents, and some of it's quite obviously the uh, I was unaware until reading the book about how on poor terms it ended between Nicola Bryant and yeah, Katie, I was totally aware as well. Yeah, the thing because she defends him and has been quite even-handed on any DVD coverage, any interviews, mm-hmm. and not in a political way. She but she's never alluded to all this that's happened, so it's it's quite frank and revealing. Uh, we could probably do an entire episode about it. We could, we could actually, so. and other, other podcasts have, but just as an aside, if you do decide to uh, read a book, uh, the publishers have their own YouTube channel where they've got I think, a 20 minute interview with the author, which is A, a good primer. And uh, contextualise it. Contextualise it because he's quite frank about the fact that really you're not making money off this because it was worth. There's a certain uh, pocket of small press publishers who publish Doctor Who books. And another small press publisher dropped the book before they came out, for whatever reason. And this other small press publisher picked it up. And he's quite fine with the fact that you're not really making a lot of money on this because it smells, it sells in micro numbers. 
But if you're a child of Doctor in the 80s and you want a wee bit more background that you won't get from the DVDs, as long as you're prepared for the fact that it may be an uncomfortable read because you're privy to the private life of someone, which has details which you might find alien to your own experiences or, or even strange. Uh, or even at times a little distasteful. A little distasteful, yeah. Uh, it's by worth me. It's, it's well worth, well worth uh, I was a very engaging read. Very engaging again. read. I'm glad I bought it. I'm glad I bought it. It's, yeah, absolutely. And again, it's a case of, has it changed my opinion of John Nathan Turner? No. Because no. it's quite abundantly clear during the book that what he did after hours, or between shows, had no bearing on what he did. And it's still there that he was, went on, on set, doing the job a consummate professional and again as I say he's why Doctor Who still exists now as as an active concern it would still be popular yeah. but it would never have came very back. much ahead of his time I think we have him to thank for the fact that uh, we now have every episode of the missing episode of two available commercially yeah. uh, there's VHS range went from strength to strength which led to the DVD range to the fact that as we come to the near the end of 2013 we're going to 2014 with basically every episode that could be released is released and a, and a DVD range of a series that has been as a going concern for what 15 years now yeah by the time Underworld Menace comes out it'll have been 15 years of DVDs and uh, over 10 years of missing now, episodes to put that in context there is only I could say one other DVD series that's gone that long and it's not really serious as such, but that would be rest, WWE wrestling DVDs are pretty much the only one because they generate pay-per-views every year and have, have that like, that level of content and library the same as that. But let's face it, Star Trek DVDs? Yeah, nope. they're, they're not the best. And it's a case of just the, the, the presentation of the content. So it's a case of... But again, JNT was the man that... He's responsible for a lot of why Doctor Who is as, as popular as it is now. So, so talking of Doctor Who... Um, so once I find a DVD which I have put somewhere, which I can't find right now, I know I had it in my hand. But when we come back from the break, we'll have watched Kanan and Company, the first spin off from Doctor Who. Now, we're going to give you a little bit of introduction to what Kanan and Company was. I have was. no idea what I've done with it. Oh, I've yeah. Here we go. So, uh, from the back of the DVD, now to explain, uh, when this was released on DVD, uh, if you're someone like me who's into Doctor Who, it comes only as a two-pack with uh, The Invisible Enemy, which was the Tom Baker serial uh, from Tom Baker's fourth season, the second serial, the first proper produced by Graham Williams, without any assist from the previous production team. And quite rarely it comes uh, bungled, uh, bundled with Kenan and Company. Now, the time this was DVD was put out was 2008, which was when uh, the Serigen Adventures had just sort of kicked off. I think it was in the second season by this point. Because she did School Reunion that was the next year. Yeah. Uh, so what I'll do is, I'll read you the back of the DVD, and then we'll watch it, and then we'll come back with our other opinions. So, Kaden and Company, A Girl's Best Friend by Tennis Dudley. Writing this time by the director of my gloss. For many years, investigative journalist Sarah Jane Smith travelled through time and space of her best friend a time lord known as the Doctor. But all good things must come to an end and they were forced to part. Sarah returned to Earth in her career but before they went their separate ways she made the Doctor promise not to forget her. 
Sarah is looking forward to spending a quiet Christmas with her Aunt Lavinia in the sleepy village of Morton Harewood. But when she arrives, she finds her aunt is missing. And a surprise present from an old friend is waiting to be opened. Sarah and her aunt's ward, Brendan, are soon caught up in the affairs of a mysterious cult who practice the black arts and are preparing for a human sacrifice. But they have the doctor's gift to aid them, a robot dog who answers to the name of Canine. Canine. Now, I, I remember the title sequence. Would you like me to have the title sequence? Now, I've only seen this, this once before, once long ago via the internet. And the title sequence went like this. Do, 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 do. Do 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 Anyway, no, just merely correcting your... This story was originally broadcast on BBC One on the 28th of December, 1981, produced by John Nathan Turner, directed by John Black. Now, Let's I, watch the story. I, I would just, before we go, I'd just like to say, uh, you said you've only seen it once. Fine. Yes. I have seen this twice. I actually, uh, I, as I've probably mentioned before, and I think earlier in the podcast, I was an army brat, so we lived in Germany at the time. This was when I was home for Christmas in Scotland, and I watched this at my grant's. I did try and watch it a second time on the BBC's Doctor YouTube channel, for which Canine Company is available legally to view, should you not wish to purchase the DVD, but I fell asleep because I was drunk. No, I, I watched this on, on broadcast, I, I, again, because the theme tune's the thing I, I remembered, even though it's... <laughs> Canine! But on this, my, my binding memory is just... It's now it's perched. The sofa, the sofa was there. I was just so the sofa was beside the sort of the TV angle to like the, the proper chairs where Granny Granddad was sitting, and I was just perched on the end of the sofa watching this program. Now I don't remember what I thought of it, so I don't think I, I don't know if I hated it or loved it as a kid. But everybody liked K nine. Kids always liked K nine. So I was hooked. So I remember watching this again. It's just one of these things, one of my few exposures to watching Doctor Who on the BBC because I didn't get to see it. I was given the Target book Never the target. as a Christmas present, and uh, I love you. I think I've seen more. No, I said that. Without recourse to the internet, I could be wrong. And I, was I'm sorry, Martyr. I love you. You were good as I saw. Why wasn't he Captain Mike Yates? Which we, we talked Fuck about. Fuck you, Mike Yates! We love you! We love the actor who betrayed. I genuinely love the actor who betrayed. Anyway, let's, let's watch Kane and Company! Do we have to? Yes! Alright then. We must. The quest is the quest.
Hegarty, 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 we're back! I think it's meant to be Hecate or Hegarty. It sounds like the cultists who star in the Canine Company. Hegarty, Hegarty, Hegarty. Well, um, as you can probably tell, <laughs> we've, we've invited you. Now, the, the Canine Company uh, programme is, is only uh, 50 Earth minutes long, yet I had to consume some beverages to get through it. Now, to explain, as we said earlier, uh, this comes in a two-pack with Doctor Who, the Invisible Enemy, uh, K-9's first proper appearance. Now, I watched um, The Invisible Enemy last night, which is, to be fair, a bit of a mediocre Doctor Who story. However, I enjoyed the DVD presentation greatly. And actually, to be fair, I actually enjoyed it more than I had enjoyed it before, because... Um, a certain madness to it, a certain fun to it, good model work. Episode 3 of the CBO was quite fun to watch because that's the one where uh, they, they go into the doctor's brain and various madness goes on. So, you know, I, I don't mind, and the turn that I paid for this two pack for the visible enemy alone was I feel good value. Now, let's <laughs> this, this do I can't talk about the, uh, the audio commentary or the text commentary because I haven't experienced uh, them yet. And then maybe several months before. And then maybe several months before the human brain enough to watch it again. Uh, now, the novelisation of this I got for Christmas one year, and I think Ian Martha novelised it. I'd have to check to be absolutely sure. But th that was a trial to get through, and I look forward to the eventual audio release of that. I, I, <laughs> I hope that the audio go range dies just before K9 Company comes out. Uh, Everything else can come out, but. We've, uh, we've said before, particularly for our thoughts on Megalos earlier in this, this uh, exciting episode, that sometimes special features can make it better. So we want special features now. First one is uh, K the K9 Files. Cast and crew look back at the making of K9 Company, plus K9 subsequent life in books and comic strips is examined. Now, the thing about this is, for some bizarre reason, now, it's recorded in some sort of cupboard with all the voices are echoing. Yes, the, it's, it's an echo chamber. Uh, the other thing is, to be perfectly fair, the making of features that you get with Doctor Who are generally quite good. Uh, mm. In terms of, there's usually some details you might not have known, some anecdotes that generally get repeated over and over again. But they're usually still engaging, as anything else you might have heard before. This one was tossed off. There is, yeah. Uh, um, now, bearing in mind that in the feature they've got Elizabeth Sladen, who was thankfully still with us at the time this DVD was produced in 2007 and released in 2008. Still with us, so she's there for that feature. The director, John Black, was still with us at that time, yep. so he was there in the feature. Yeah, John Leeson. Uh, Eric Seymour, who's discovered editor, is available in the comment today. John Leeson is there. So you could have actually thrown together a making of, but they don't. It was threadbare. Then we moved on to... K9, A Dog's Tale. K9 himself answers a selection of questions about his life and career. It lasted about three minutes. It felt longer. It was, I think, possibly... Now, it was a, a throwback to the... Uh, <coughs> earlier in the Doctor Who DVD range, there was features commissioned with uh, that were comedic, shall we say, such as Earthshock Part 5. Yeah. Uh, and the Sutek featured it from Pyramids of Mars. 
Now, generally speaking, the, the comedic features on the Doctor range are not amongst their finest. The only one I would say that I really laughed at was there's a feature by Gareth Roberts and Clayton Hickman on the Mask of Mandragora uh, DVD, uh, which is about the impact of that serial on British culture, which is genuinely funny. And if you like that, then the two of them have produced various... Uh, skits online yeah. and trailers and like which are very funny. That was good, but generally they're not good and this is not good. Uh, then we move on to Pebble the One. Ken Ains appeared on the 1981 Christmas show. It's archive telly, so... It is what it is. It is what it is. It's nice to have. Uh, trails and continuities. A selection of off-air continuity announcements for the various BBC transmissions of the story, which are what they are. They're, they are nice to have. Um, the sad thing is that it identifies that this was a big um, programme for the viewers of the 1881 Christmas. Yes, uh, well again, as I said, I, I watched it when it aired. Fair Bastards, and of course, if you if you view this on a DVD-ROM, you will get the K9 Annual, 1983, and the four um, K9 Young Readers books, available as a PDF on this, uh, by Dave Martin, which I do remember reading and enjoying, so I look forward to actually uh, viewing them on my computer. About seven months from now. Yes, so we move on to the 50-minute story now. Sarah Jane Smith is an investigative reporter. She is. Is she? Fuck. Uh, I'm sorry, but it likes donkey balls. Right, let's just be honest about Kenny and company. Let's just, let's just cut to the chase. Right? You only will own this because you love Doctor Who and you bought Doctor Who and the Invisible Enemy and this is your bonus disc. Yeah, if you seek this out to own, then you're beyond our help. <laughs> you're beyond all help. So sure, I mean, it's got. Uh, you should go for the groin. It's got. It's got the chat from from his cards. Yes, it has uh, Colin Jevons, who played Tim Stamper in House of Cards, the, well, the first two serials. Uh, spoilers: He doesn't make it to the third one. And it has. Uh, it's got Sarah uh, Jane investigating Covens, right? But not really investigating Covens. She doesn't do much investigating. She's got, a, she's got, she's got a, a child, uh, not a child, she's got a young adult, uh, Brendan. I think you'll find, uh, I think you'll find Tory Cunt. It's true. He, who, and, and I, 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 I despair of lust. Yeah, so clearly wants to fire about Sarah Jane. Well, of course. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't judge him on that. However, he gets... The thing is, the co- the co- if the cultists had just left them alone, they'd have been all right. Yeah. It's, but they they try and scare them off, and with it's Colin G. Tim Stamper and his uh, son, whose son is played by Sean Chapman, who was Frank in Hellraiser. Uh, not the voice of Frank in Hellraiser. He was in Hellraiser too, but he was actually overdubbed by Bob Sessions, who is uh, Batman in the BBC audiobook Nightfall. And will always be my audio Batman. Now, we all know that subjectively Kevin Conroy is the best vocal performance of any Batman. This is beyond dispute. But for some of us of a certain age and a certain vintage and nostalgia, Bob Sessions will always be the audio Batman for his performance in BBC Nightfall and the Lazarus Lazarus Experiment, which was on Radio 4 and both of which are available. As much as I'm not a huge fan of iTunes, you can get them on iTunes for bobbins. And Audio Go as well. Yes, indeed. So, anyway... Uh, so Sean Chapman's in it now he's one of the ch- he attacked Brendan the Tory cunt 
Now, I call him a Tory cunt because he goes to boarding school and when he comes back from school, he's still wearing a shirt and tie. Tory cunt. And also because when he gets attacked, uh, Sean Chapman, as uh, Mr. Mr. Stamper's son, is wearing uh, jeans, a leather jacket and a t-shirt. Or, you know, normal clothes. So when he goes to, to tell who he's attacked by, he goes, yeah, well, it was dark. Uh, he was he was dark. Looked kind of like a gypsy. Tory cunt. I know we don't we don't we don't approve of the c word on this particular podcast. We've dropped it often enough. I know, but we don't we don't approve. We we call it a, 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 I'm not sure because right. while well, this episode has been on this this fifty minutes plus uh, this features. I, I have I have had to anaesthetise myself via the joy of Finlandia Wodka. Yes, uh, so what we're really going to say is we can't, the story uh, makes next to no sense. I'm sorry, at the end of the day, I think you've got it by now in this particular podcast, and it was almost that we are the dialogue to fans. If we have to anaesthetise ourselves to the point where I'm sitting on the couch and I'm wearing a Spider-Man mask on my head, I am slightly tipsy. Due to the amount of alcohol I've had to drink to get through my glossiness, and I really don't know what any of my sentences, then whatever it is that I started out to say is true. Basically, don't watch this. Nobody watches. Yeah. This. If you go online and you decide to order this, it's because you've decided to watch Doctor the Invisible Enemy. I enjoy Doctor the Invisible Enemy for all its faults. So what you do is right, you get your two pack in, and you and you watch the Invisible Enemy. And then you take this, right, and then, then you throw it into the fucking sea. No, you don't. Because that'd be irresponsible and that'd be polluting. What you ah. do is you responsibly dispose of it. What you do is you, you take it to Oxfam or any other charity shop and you say, there's a donation for you. And they might sell it for a pound. And if you gift aid it, they'll get a pound and a bit towards the charity of your choice. And you will do good work. But also bad work, because someone will buy that. <laughs> Someone like us. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to take our leave of you here uh, because, well, we've had enough and want to, you know, go lie down and cry ourselves to sleep, pretty much. Uh, in separate beds, I'd like to hasten to that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, it's just I can do better. Okay, so goodbye! Farewell! <laughs> Can I do 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 do